I'm sorry, God. <laughs> okay, uh, if you have not figured out yet, we like to have fun around here. Uh, we believe that church can be fun, and we hope you enjoy that little gift. If you're new here, uh, we welcome you. Uh, we hope you experience God's presence even in that and in the rest of the way here. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn uh, to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. If you would like a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. Uh, if you're online while that's happening, those that are watching online, I continue to be amazed at the number of people all over the world that have chosen to join us in worship here in these past few weeks. We are humbled that you're doing so. And we got so many folks over in the sanctuary. I know you have chosen to make that your space uh, to make room for others, but also it's just working for you. And I mean, I, ju I just thank you for that. A uh, true worth, uh, just a relationship with you, it continues to be a humble privilege. And um, if you're new and you're on campus, I would love to meet you. If you're online, shoot me an email sometimes. I'd love to connect with you in, in that way. Uh, this morning, uh, we are talking about getting stronger in marriage. And that, that's where we're heading with this. Uh, this past January, January 6th, Dallas and I were married 41 years. Hard to believe, 41 years. Yeah, uh, yeah that, 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 that's your senior pastor 41 years ago. Uh, just some kind of idea. This is your senior pastor just a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing how quickly your life changes and your, everything like that. Uh, we, Dallas and I have learned a lot in our marriage in the past 41 years. She's over in the sanctuary right now, so I got to be very careful in some things that I say. Uh, but we learned a lot primarily from wise mentors. I would say ultimately from my mom and dad who've been married for 67 years, uh, which I think is pretty amazing. Uh, we've also learned a whole lot of all of Dallas's mistakes. Uh, she's made a lot of them, and I made one or two myself. And uh, we have learned from our failures. Uh, we've had a lot of failure, I'll, I'll just confess to you, in our relationship. And so this morning, I want to share with you seven lessons. I've reduced it down to seven. It could have been 27. Uh, but I know time, some of you kind of get worried when you see the time gets to a certain place. So we're doing seven. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm not married. Uh, if you're single and you're dating someone, I think you will find some of these principles very helpful to you. Uh, if you're single and you never want to be married for the first time or ever again, I'm, I'm betting there is someone in your life you're connected to, you would like to stay connected to, uh, someone in your family, a, a friend, and you want to deepen the connection. I think you can apply it there. And then some of you are students and you're going, now what the heck? Uh, I'm a student. I'm in high school still. I have no interest in yet in this thing called marriage. I'm not even sure if I ever will, and it's a long way away. Uh, here's what I want you to hear. Uh, you want your parents to stay married. You may not realize it yet, but you do. And you can play a role in understanding here. And if your parents are divorced, you want them to do divorced well. And there's a way to do divorce well. And as a student, as a child in that home, you can help impact that as well. So I'm just going to just trust that there's going to be something in here for everyone, okay? And then I would ask you to listen through the lens of where you are in your life and trust that God will speak, okay? I'm going to ask you to do that. God, we, as we open up your word, uh, we're very mindful that your word is full of grace, but it's also full of truth. And God, one of the most challenging, difficult things we ever do on this earth is have a relationship, particularly a covenant relationship called marriage. But God, even 
uh, between folks that are divorced, trying to be civil, uh, with our kids, in-laws and outlaws, and all the complications of family dysfunction, uh, sometimes we can get things in a mess. And so this morning, God, we seek your divine counsel. Uh, for those that are online watching far away, and for those that are at True Worth, and even right here on this campus, God, uh, wherever, God, we ask you to speak and to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. The very first wedding that's ever recorded in the scripture is Genesis chapter 2. And this is after the creation and the story of creation where God said, okay, I'll make this, I'll make this, it's good, it's good, it's good. And we said last week, created the human body, he said, it's very good. I created you, humanity, uh, you're really, 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 really good. And you get to the end of the chapter, chapter 2, there's a man and woman here in the scriptures called Adam and Eve, and they kind of do a thing, like they get married. They get married. And that's the end of chapter 2. Then you get into chapter 3, a reality sets in, and all hell breaks loose. Shaming, blaming, hiding, just painful reality. Uh, God has allowed me over the years to be a part of lots of different weddings. I can't be a part of every wedding I'm invited to. I'm always humbled when someone invites me to be a part. Uh, but when I am a part, there always comes a moment toward the end of the ceremony. It's always very meaningful for everyone. It's when the couples face each other. They have their hands. Uh, they embrace their hands. And they make something like this. I do promise and covenant before God and all these witnesses to be your loving and your faithful husband or your loving and faithful wife. Then they go on to say these little phrases. Uh, in sickness and in health. For richer or for poor, for better or for worse. And often right there in the middle of that little sweet little romantic moment and they're looking at each other with these goo goo eyes and all that sort of stuff, they're repeating after me and I'm going, you don't have a clue what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I just almost sometimes just want to burst out laughing, you know, I, know what, I see what you're saying, but <laughs> you don't have a clue. And then often, uh, reality sets in, certainly so, just like in Genesis 2 and 3. And I get a phone call, a text, an email, and says, hey, she's gone. Uh, he left. Uh, this morning, uh, we're, we're not talking about the, the hearts and rainbows of getting married and picking the right person. We're not talking about that. We're also not talking about the painful reality that sometimes happens on the other end. We're not talking about picking up the pieces. We're not talking about that either. Uh, this morning, I want us to talk about what happens in the middle. The middle. The everyday, hard, just real life. After you say, I do... But before you say, I'm done, that's where we're going, the middle. Now, I want to share with you some things that I've heard over the years from individuals about what they want and what they don't want from marriage. And I recorded some of these in my journal for this, my own purposes here this weekend. And some of you need to pay attention because I've heard these from your spouses, what they want and don't want. 
Here's what they want. I want decades. I want deep. I want eye to eye. I want toe to toe. I want secret revealing. I want truth telling. I want heart pounding deep connection. I want durable. I want a marriage I can build a family on. I want passion. Here's the things your spouses don't want. I don't want a slow fade into silence. I don't want to be put up with. I don't want disposable. I don't want cheap. I don't want artificial. I don't want fake. I don't want average. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to just have a roommate. It's very important for you to be clear what you want and what you don't want from your marriage. But it's even more important that your spouse knows what you want and what you don't want from your relationship. Hopefully we can address these a little bit here as we go forward here in these seven things that I think, lessons that Dallas and I have learned in our own life experience of what can help all of us be stronger in our relationships. Here's the first one. I will grow stronger in my marriage when I take responsibility for my health and wholeness. Let me put it in another way. Three words. Be a grower. You take responsibility for your own spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental health. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is asked about divorce, and he quotes what happens in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 6, he says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, they are one. This is my biblical, def my understanding, the biblical definition of marriage is two becoming one. You can't be one who is whole unless before you get married, individually, you are healthy, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Because when two unhealthy people become one, you got one unhealthy union. The most important thing you can do to strengthen your marriage is for you to take responsibility for your own emotional, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health. I see it all the time where someone brings their addiction into a marriage. They bring their apathy about marriage into a marriage. They bring unresolved family dysfunction, daddy and mommy issues, unresolved divorced issues 
into another new relationship. And all you have done is messed up a one that God has created. Now, how do you know where you stand on all this stuff? I suggest over in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, as he lines out the spiritual gifts, the fruits of the Spirit that someone has in their life, that the Holy Spirit wants to generate in a serious follower of Jesus. And he lays them out there. We've been here a lot during uh, this Stronger series. And here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're married or if you're dating someone, you can, or even in a divorce situation, you can sit down and have this conversation. And here's what it is. You go through the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to put them on the screen here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And you ask them, hey, tell me, uh, how loving am I? Would you say I am joy-filled or more negative and sour? Do you find me being a person of peace or am I always in turmoil and conflict? Uh, that next word is forbearance, which really is patient. Would you say I'm patient? How patient am I? Uh, am I kind? Would you say I, I show goodness toward you and other people? Uh, how faithful am I? Well, what about gentle? Am I, am, am I, am I gentle uh, when, when, with you when you need me to be gentle? What about the question of self-control? When I get angry or when the emotions kind of get out of hand, do I show self-control or do I what's your experience of me? Man. Uh, you want to find out the truth of where you need to make some changes in your life? Uh, you just go through that little test right there. And when you see an area where you are short, where you need to be changed, I would remind you, you are responsible for making the changes in you. I think it's fascinating. All these couples get married, and they think that these young couples, hey, I'm going to change my spouse. Uh, why are you, oh, I'll change him. I'll just change him. Every seasoned married person knows the only person you can change is yourself. Stop trying to fix anybody and work on you where you're short and you're not healthy and you're not whole. Here's the second one. I'll get stronger in my marriage when I invest my very best time and energy. Now, here's what I know. No marriage gets stronger by accident. No marriage gets stronger on leftovers. And here's what I think happens to so many people. I mean, how many of you who can hear my voice, whether you're online or you're in the house, uh, true words can testify. You remember, if you're not in right now, the tired 30s. Remember the tired 30s? Some of you are in the tired 30s. And the tired 30s are uh, when the kids are little, the days are long, and the nights are wild. I'm not talking about nightclub wild. I'm talking about mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, I need another drink. Mommy, daddy, would you read another book? Mommy, daddy, there's monsters under the bed. Mommy, daddy, can I sleep in your bed tonight? That kind of wild. And then you get to the end of your day, and you're sitting on the couch, and you have your chips, and you have your salsa, and you have your Netflix. And you are exhausted. You are empty. You got nothing. And you look next to you, there's another person who's just as tired, just as empty as you are, but they look at you with these longing eyes. And you say, 
back off, Buster. I got nothing, and you're getting nothing. Come back in 10 years when I've had a little sleep, when I got something to invest in you. Come back. But what you don't realize, after the tired 30s is the fading 40s. Because 10 years later, your kids are teenagers. And they have cars, and they want to stay out even later. And they got boyfriends and girlfriends, and that scares the bejeebers out of you, and it should. And they're thinking about college in the future, and you're not getting any more sleep in the fast-fading 40s. So you're thinking, okay, I'll wait to the fantastic 50s. And the fantastic 50s show up, and it's finally the empty nest. And you look at the person you're married to, and you go, excuse me, who are you? <laughs> you don't even know each other. And there's an emptiness. Because along the way, you did not stop to invest any of your best time and energy into each other. Please hear this. If you're married, your marriage is not just a business partnership where you have income and expenses. Your marriage is not just co-parenting, childcare, Uber. Your marriage is a love story. And you get to write each word of each sentence, of each paragraph, of each chapter. And it's about making memories. And if you don't intentionally stop to make memories, the memories will make you, and those memories will be painful. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Two ways to invest. And the number one I would say is memory making. Just memory making. And memory making is very simple. Uh, Dallas and I learned this the hard way. I don't mind telling you. We woke up one day. We went, whoa, who are you? And we got away just for a couple of days. For the first time, we're having three kids. And we, when we got away for a little while, just two, for a weekend, we realized, man, we had lost touch. We had just become business partners. We had just become child care providers. And we thought, what have we done? And we reconnected. It was just a very simple weekend, just the two of us. And it was, I remember it was amazing. Because here's what happens when you have kids and they start growing up is that we had three boys. And uh, so she would take one, and I would take one, and there's one left. <laughs> right? And it's divide and conquer. And when you do the divide and conquer, you're the one that gets divided, and you're the one that gets conquered. You have got to draw a line in the sand and say, stop off this crazy train, and I'm going to give you, my husband, you, my wife, some of my best time and my best energy. So how do you do that? It doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, let me just give you one little example. Uh, say the word fire escape. Say fire escape. This is going to be a code word for some of you. Fire escape. If you need something, just say fire escape. Here's, here's where this comes from. Uh, there was this couple in Brooklyn, New York, uh, they were both up-and-comers, successful, uh, go out and live the life, the, the good life of dating and marriage and all that sort of stuff. And then they had kids, and they had no parents there to help them take care of the kids. And they couldn't afford the babysitters in New York. And so one of them would say, fire escape. They put the kid down, get the baby monitor, 
go out of their window and sit on the fire escape and look at Manhattan, have a bottle of wine, two little glasses, and they didn't talk about money, and they didn't talk about the kids. They talked about each other. 30 minutes. Didn't cost them anything. Fire escape. What are you going to do to stop time to fully invest in the person that you made a promise to for rich or for poor, for sickness and the health, as long as we both shall live? You've got to invest some of your best time and energy. Here's the other thing I would say is asking scary questions. And we're going to post these on Facebook here in a little while. That you've got to take the time to invest in asking scary questions because I, you cannot write all these down. You will fail if you try to, so don't even try. We're going to post them. But to stop in your marriage and to ask these kind of questions. Have you noticed if you ask your husband or your wife, uh, how was your day? You don't get much. How are you feeling? You don't get much. I want to help you. Very practical. Here's some questions. When did you feel joyful today? Uh, what filled you up today? Uh, what was difficult about your day? Uh, what was painful about your day? Ask those questions, then you learn how to ask the next set of questions. Is there something you've been wanting to tell me I have not been wanting to hear? Whoa. How could I have walked better with you today? You ask those questions, it makes it easier to ask the next questions. In what ways have I let you down? Is the physical part of our relationship everything it could be or should be? What would be the most meaningful way for me to show my love for you in this season of our lives? Here's the last one I would suggest at this time. Are you lonely in any way in our marriage? Now, here's what I know. Uh, these are scary questions, and the answers are scary. Uh, you may hear some things that you hope you... Mm. But the truth will set you free. It may hurt, but now you can deal with the real issues. Because I've had too many people come to me and say, Pastor, he left, she left. And I said, what happened? Well, the silence, the silence was just so incredible. Because they never talked about anything. They knew what the problem was. They knew what was destroying them, but nobody was afraid of Nobody brought it up. They had the courage to bring it up. So nobody said anything, and then they were just done. And then you start asking all the questions afterwards, and nothing can bring them back. So you've got to learn to ask the scary questions. That's a way to invest your best of time and your energy into someone else's life. Number three, I will get strong in my marriage when I become open to asking for help. And here I'm talking about counseling, and I'm talking about community. And here's what I know for a fact. Very few marriages go the distance without formal professional counseling. Very few. And here's what I know for a fact. No marriage will make it without a strong community around them. That's just a fact. Unfortunately, you and I live in a world where there's a stigma against counseling. I'm casting a vision this weekend at Pathway Church. We eliminate the stigma that when somebody has the courage to say, I need help, we go, good for you. We cheer them on. We encourage them. Man, how brave you are. How courageous you are. Not, man, y'all are really messed up. 
Man, I didn't know y'all were, oh, my God, really? Y'all going to get counseling? Oh, no. Good for you. Let's eliminate that stigma. Over here in Mark chapter 5, excuse me, John chapter 5, uh, Jesus shows up at this pool, and all these people are laying around who are ill. And they've been laying there, one guy, for 38 years. And Jesus walks up, and he just says one thing. Hey, dude, man, do you want to get well? So I would ask some of you this morning, uh, do you want to get well? Do you want your marriage to get well? Are, are, are you willing to swallow your pride? Are you willing to set aside your ego? Are you willing to get rid of the fear of what are other people going to think if we go get counseling? So someone who has been called by God to use skills and knowledge and education to help you get well, would you be willing to do that for the sake of a relationship? Would you be willing to do that? Hey, Dallas, I've been married 41 years. Uh, we both had individual counseling. We both had joint counseling because most people can't navigate 41 years or forever years without getting some sort of help from the outside. And there's nothing wrong with that time out on one little thing right here. If you're in a marriage uh, where you're being abused, when I read this book, we're talking about holding marriage together. But when I read this book, there is no place for any sort of abuse, physical, mental, or emotional and if you're in that kind of relationship I ask you to come ask for help speak to somebody on this church staff not with your spouse you come by yourself because you got some hard choices to make you can't stay in that situation and I want to encourage you Community, you got to surround your marriage with people who believe in marriage. Uh, you got to surround your community with community people who will cheer you on. You got to get rid of the people in your community. You go, oh, that old no good so and so, all oh, that little, she just a tramp, she just. You got to get those people out of your circle. Stop listening to them. They're not trying to help you, they don't believe in marriage. Surround yourself with people, married or single, who believe in what God says in his word, and that two will become one, and nothing will tear them apart. Let's keep moving. Number four, I will get stronger in my marriage when I protect it with healthy boundaries. With healthy boundaries. Uh, here's what I know in all the weddings I presided. Uh, I've never presided at a wedding uh, where, where the husband says, uh, Hey, babe, I want to let you know, uh, a few years from now, I'm going to lie to you about where I'm going. I've never heard that. I never heard on a wedding day uh, where a bride or, or a groom has said, hey, listen, uh, honey, in a few years, I'll probably be sitting right next to you on the couch, and I'm probably going to text an old boyfriend or girlfriend. I've never heard that said. And yet I've seen it happen. Often. The number one way to protect your marriage is not boundaries, it's to invest in it. 
If you invest some of your best in this person you made promises to, the best of your time and the best of your energy, if you're wrestling with the scary questions and you're wrestling with the scary answers and you're making time for making memories with this person and you're creating a covenant time, a passion connection with that person, and you're bonded, really bonded to the other person, there's no room for another person to sneak in. But if you ignore these things we're talking about, if you just kind of, ah, and you let little silences turn into solitary confinement, you know what I'm talking about, where a little bitty silence, will you put somebody in solitary confinement for weeks and weeks and weeks? And if you let a little hurt turn into a big resentment, and if you let your marriage just become nothing but a business agreement of income and expenses, and you let it become nothing but co-parenting and co-child care, your marriage is is vulnerable. The number one way you can protect your marriage is to invest your best in it. And the second is protect it with healthy boundaries. Over in Proverbs chapter 5-5, we have this whole chapter about a warning against the adulterous woman. It could just well be the adulterous man. And in verse 8, it gets very clear about these boundaries. It says, keep a path, verse 8, keep a path far from this woman. Uh, do not go near the door of her house. Hey, hey, it doesn't say, hey, listen, just walk by and say hello. It, it says, it, it doesn't say, go, go just knock on the door. It doesn't say, hey, if you go in, don't stay very long. It says, you stay as far away from anyone who can interfere with your marriage as you can. You stay away from them. You build up boundaries so tall, so thick, so wide that no wolf can get into your house. That's what it's saying. Now, I believe with all my heart, men and women can be friends. I have some friends that are female. But I also believe those friendships are solid because of the boundaries that we have, brother-sister friendship. And some people say that my boundaries are a little bit too strict. I mean, I'm not going to go into my boundaries. I've shared those with you before. But every time I hear about some church leader falling, or some public official falling, some school teacher, some coach, somebody I know in this church that I love, care for deeply, Stepping out, and I don't think those boundaries are so strict. Because there, the grace of God, go any of us when we're vulnerable. One other thing I would say here before I read this passage from, from Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. If you have, or you are newly married, here's the, one of the best advice I could give you. Every text, every email, every social media post, you make it, every phone call, you make it as if your spouse could hear and read every single word. And if they can't, don't do it. Right here in Mark chapter 10, at the very end of that, in verse 9, Jesus says, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Uh, you know what that means? And that means you and I have a responsibility to help other people's marriages. If there's anybody in your circle of friendships that you think it just maybe, just maybe, your text, your emails, uh, your phone calls 
might not be helping them be the best husband, the best wife they could be? It may be innocent, and in your heart of hearts, you may think you're pure. But if there is any possibility, would you please back off for the sake of their marriage and just stop it? What God has joined together, let no one separate. Nextly, I will get stronger in my marriage when I become an expert forgiver. Uh, wow, how true that is. Uh, in your marriage, you will get hurt. Uh, in your marriage, you will be disappointed. Uh, big and small. And if you hold on to resentment, if you hold on to a record of wrongs, if you refuse to forgive, uh, you're going to live in the past. And God's always going to the future doing a new thing. But God is not going to take you into the future to do a new thing if you keep bringing up the old stuff. You've got to stop it. You've got to become an expert forgiver. Uh, I know some people in this church that I greatly love and respect where one of them stepped out of the relationship and had an emotional or a physical affair. And one of them had every right to walk. But when they, in a sober-minded moment, when the emotions were calmer and they were biblically grounded and they examined their relationship, they said, you know what? I believe after a death, there can be a resurrection. And I believe what the Bible says about forgiveness. And today, when I see them, uh, they are stronger than ever. And they know something a lot of people don't know. When you become a forgiver, <clears throat> what God can do. Over here in Matthew chapter 18, <laughs> Peter was trying to slide by and he says, Hey, Jesus, hey, tell me, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus said, Oh, up, up to seven times, Jesus? He said, No, I, how about more like seven times, but 77 times? In other words, become an expert forgiver. Uh, can I just be this as bold and direct as I can? Don't get married. If you're not willing to forgive, just don't do it. Because forgiveness is required. Wherever there are two or more gathered, there will be a problem. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. It's required. Fifthly, sixthly, uh, when I love my spouse as my number one neighbor, I will get stronger in my marriage. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, please hear this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome here. If you don't believe in God, you don't think there is a God, uh, you're welcome to, to come to this place. Uh, wrestle and struggle and ask questions and just kind of see. But if you are a follower of Jesus, please hear this. The highest purpose in your life for all of us is to demonstrate the love of God in human ways to other people. That's our job. Our purpose here is to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. Uh, connect people to people and people to God. You do that through his love. Now one more, right? Now one more knowing how great is the Father's love. We're over here in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was asked the question about the greatest commandment. Some of you have heard this many times. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first. It's the greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Please hear this if you're married. The number one neighbor in your life 
is your spouse. Your number one neighbor is the person who will be your neighbor in whatever neighborhood you live in. It's the person who doesn't share the property line. It's the person who shares the bed with you. It's the person who's always up in your business, even when you don't want them to be. It's the most challenging and complicated relationship you'll ever have in your life. Your number one neighbor. It's not marriage advice. It's a commandment. Love your spouse. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Dallas and I have been married 41 years. I've been thinking about that this week. Uh, she will spend more time with me than any other person on this earth. When our time is gone, she'd be with me. What I say and what I do will impact her more than anyone on this earth. I have the power to crush her. I have the power to lift her with the words that come out of my mouth. And sometimes I think, poor Dallas. <laughs> the greatest expression of love of God, she's going to be through what she experiences through me. Because she's my person. She's my number one neighbor. And I would just ask you, that wants me to get better. Does that make any of you want to get better and loving your neighbor when you understand they are your number one person that God has asked you to demonstrate that to? Just saying. And here's the final thing. When I blow it, when I don't get it, when I'm falling apart, um, I go, okay, God, I'll get strong when I remember I'm never alone. When I'm never, never alone. Because that's what the Bible says. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I created marriage. I'm going to be right in the middle of it with you when it's messy, when it's ugly, when it's complicated. You remember how much I love you and how much I've forgiven you, and I'm right there with you to help you do the same for your spouse. I'm never alone. Frederick Buechner puts this quote this way. We're going to put this little marriage quote up here. Uh, can you put that quote up there about from Frederick? I love this little quote. A marriage made in heaven is where one man and a woman become more richly themselves together than the chances are either of them could ever have managed to become on their own. Two, becoming one. So, these closing comments, other things that I've heard, what people want, please listen. Your spouse may have told me this. I want decades, I want deep, I want durable, I want honest. I want nothing goes unseen. I want nothing that goes untalked about. I don't want to sit next to a spouse for the next 20 years wondering what he or she wants out of life or out of our marriage. I don't want to sit next to a spouse for the next 20 years wondering what might have been if we had asked scary questions. I don't want to sit by a person for the next 20 years wondering what could have happened if we had really invited God into the middle. I don't want to live with someone who becomes a stranger little by little, week by week, year by year. I don't want longer silences and less laughter. I don't want casual visits about business and kids become our standard operating conversation. I don't want disposable. What do you want? What do you don't want?
know, we are in a disposable society, right? If you don't want it, you throw it away, get a new one, you upgrade. You upgrade your TV, you upgrade your car, you upgrade your supersize your drink. I heard a man say, hey, Pastor, I want you to meet my, my new and improved wife. It was a younger version, a little hottie. Uh, she was an upgrade. But if you were to go to my dad, my father, who'd been married to the same woman for 67 years, and if you were to ask him, Dad, who's your upgrade? He would say, my upgrade is this woman who's holding my hand right now. Because 67 years ago, uh, she's not the same person. Uh, she has forgiven me many times. Uh, she's asked me some hard questions. Uh, we've made lots of memories. And she took responsibility for her physical, her mental, her emotional, her spiritual health. And I would tell you, this woman here, she's my upgrade. Uh, you want to have an upgrade? Be the upgrade. You be the upgrade. I just invite you just for a second to get in touch with what has God said to you this morning. What's the one thing, the one thing that you're going to practice in your relationships? The one thing. Maybe some of you this morning would admit that you need some help. I, I, I really need some help. We have all sorts of, we have divorce recovery. We got men's and women's support groups. We got small groups. We have counseling. We have prepared and rich for those that are getting married. We, you just, today, you might want to say, I need help. Stop at the Welcome Center. Let them know. Somebody will get back with you. Or maybe this morning you need to say, I need God's help. Oh, God, I need your help because I keep failing. What's, what's, what's the one thing that you need to take with you this morning? past six weeks we're going to see it with a short song I invite you to stand let this be your prayer let this be your prayer wherever you are on true line online uh, in the sanctuary stand let us sing this as our prayer your love never fails never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails never gives up Never runs out on me, your love. Sing together, it's higher than the mountains. Oh, and it's higher than the mountains that I face. And stronger than the power of the grave. And it's constant in the trial and the chase. One thing remains this one thing remains your love never fails and never 
out on me Your love never fails and never gives up It never runs out on me Your love never fails and never gives up It never runs out on me Your love Come on, together one more time Sing your love God, your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love. And God, that is my prayer. You will pour out your love, your healing love on all the hurts on all the pain, on all the baggage, on all the wrongs, the things said and unsaid, or the things done and not done, or your healing love that never fails. And I pray, God, that every person who can hear my voice wherever they are in the world will leave knowing that you are with them. You want to help them get stronger, and you will in their families, in their relationships. I ask you to do this and even more in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. If you're new, I would love to meet you. Have a great week.